Welcome, listeners, to Take the Hill, a leadership podcast that connects you with individuals who are demonstrating leadership excellence within their respective fields. I'd like to welcome those of you who are just joining us for the first time. My name is Dr. Patrick Mauvahill. I am an assistant professor at the Roland School of Business at Point Park University. My co-host is Dr. Dennis Ferkatich. And I am an assistant professor with Indiana University of Pennsylvania. All right. Thank you, Dennis. Well, we here at Take the Hill are excited and honored to have retired Lieutenant Colonel Dave Burke joining us today. Dave was an F-18 pilot who was deployed from the USS John Stennis in support of combat operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. He also spent three years as an instructor pilot at Top Gun, where he was dual qualified in not only the F-18, but the F-16 Fighting Falcon. While he was there, he served as the training officer and senior staff pilot responsible for the conduct of the Top Gun course. Dave then served as an Anglico Forward Air Controller supporting the Army's 1st Armored Division during extensive urban combat operations in Ramadi, Iraq in 2006. He was also the only Marine selected to fly the F-22 Raptor. He also spent some time serving as the Test and Evaluation Squadron as a Division Commander overseeing the F-35 Squadron from 2012 through 2014. Lieutenant Colonel Dave Burke also earned a master's degree in international public policy from the John Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies with a concentration in strategic studies. And currently he is now working as a leadership consultant with Echelon Front. So Dennis, do you have anything to add before we jump into the interview? Uh, no, I have nothing to add. Why don't we get on with the interview? We are honored here to this morning. We have uh, Dave Burke uh, again. Is just to reiterate uh, from the intro, he is a Marine qualified F-18 pilot who, again, has deployed twice on the USS John C. Stennis uh, to support combat ac- operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, he also continued his service at Top Gun as an instructor and a student, and he also then, you know, later on in his career, commanded the 1st F-35 Squadron, as well as serving a tour as a forward operating controller as well. So quite a lengthy historic and certainly no doubt tremendous leadership potential coming from there but also like you said you demonstrated a tremendous amount of courage as well. So uh, do we miss anything there Dave? No it was a, uh, it was a good introduction. <laughs> I did fly F-22s with the Air Force for a couple of years so I got a chance to see how all the different services do business and uh, like you said, it was a really, uh, the career was, uh, could not have asked for anything better during my time in the Marine Corps. Phenomenal. And like I said, no doubt, um, like I said, it's a testament to your expertise in refining your craft and leadership abilities. Uh, um, so we're going to jump into it with our first question for you here is, uh, and, you know, as you look back over your career, you know, was there kind of a defining moment or experience that significantly challenged you to grow as a leader? Yeah, certainly. And I know uh, that's a critical question. Uh, and I look back at my career, uh, to be honest with you, it's really not that hard of a question for me to answer because uh, I spent, as you know, most of my time in the cockpit. I was very comfortable as a pilot. Uh, I got some great experiences flying off carriers. Top Gun was obviously a great experience. Getting to fly different airplanes like the F-16, the Top Gun, the, the F-22 at, uh, for the Air Force. Uh, and I eventually finished out as the F-35 pilot. It's really neat um, to get to see that breadth of experience with different platforms different levels of responsibility. But for me, the biggest challenge by far was leaving the cockpit and then commanding a team 
uh, in Ramadi when I was a ground Ford air controller in Iraq when I worked with um, Leif and Jocko from SEAL Team 3, Task Unit Bruiser, uh, during the Battle of Ramadi in 2006. That was a massive departure from what I was accustomed to and a massive departure uh, in terms of really what was at stake uh, in terms of my combat experience. So that was uh, by far the defining moment. Wow. And how did you, and I know Jocko talks about this a lot, whenever you're facing you know, significant challenges or you know, summoning up the courage to, to demonstrate that leadership, and he, he always says, you know, just step and you know, step into it. How, how did you accomplish that? I guess, you know, having been in a position where you typically found yourself in a cockpit to now being kind of on the front lines in Ramadi, working with those guys for the first time. Yeah, certainly. And Jocko speaks to that. All the all the, um, the guys at Echelon Front, when we talk about it, um, the idea of just needing to, you know, Jocko talks about kind of putting the hand in your back and just pushing you forward. Hey, you got to get in there. Uh, that's where the problem is. You got to get where the problem is. You got to move towards the conflict. You got to move towards the chaos. Uh, and you've got to resolve it. Uh, you know, I did have experience as a pilot. Uh, I had somewhat grown accustomed to being environments that, to me, were uncomfortable. You know, I, I've talked about this in the past. You don't necessarily get to pick what uh, what scares you. Yeah. You don't get to pick what uh, what bothers you. Sometimes those things just happen. But you do get to pick how you respond. Uh, I was never a big fan of landing uh, on a carrier at night. <laughs> I was never a big fan of, of operating around the ship uh in those demanding environments, those are uncomfortable environments for me, but I grew accustomed to operating in those environments and I was able to thrive there. And so I had some sense of recognition that, uh, you know, your, your, your measure as a leader is when things are at their most difficult. And it's certainly for me in Ramadi, uh, those are the most physically, mentally and emotionally challenging times. But I did have the benefit of, of a long history of operating in, in difficult environments as a Marine. So, Although this was at a, at a higher magnitude, you know, the skills that I had developed and, and sort of my understanding of the qualities of a leader and the, the principles that you implement as a leader, they're, they're universal. They, they are the same. Uh, sometimes uh, the, the magnitude grows and, and you have to acknowledge that the environment is slightly different. Uh, but I was able to recognize that in order to, uh, to be successful and for me and my Marines to be successful in supporting the larger operation that we were there for, uh, you know, we had to move um, move forward into where the chaos was and move forward to where the, the challenging environments were. And, you know, I was able to do that. I had an amazing group of guys to work with me, a, a team of Marines that were every bit as committed to it as I was. Some of them were young and inexperienced. Some of them were, were a little more experienced. Uh, but we all recognized that our contribution uh, was in critical uh, for the Army and the units that we were supporting to be successful. So you, you get up in the morning and you go to work and you do the things that you know you need to do to be successful. Well, thank you, Dave. Uh, this is Dennis. I first want to thank you for your service. And I'm going to piggyback on that last question. And I'm going to uh, start with, when challenges arise, many individuals inherently look elsewhere to assign blame. How can we become better equipped to be the one who stands up and accepts the responsibility to lead? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's very natural. It's so comfortable and very easy to find blame elsewhere um there's a lot of reasons that we we develop and create in our minds why things don't go the way they go why things uh, aren't uh, as effective as they should be and patently uh, when things uh, don't work out the way you want when you when you fail uh, it's very easy and pretty comfortable to find uh reasons to attribute that outside of yourself 
you can look at anything from you know the economy to the marketplace to your people or the trading or your funding or any hosts, any number of reasons why things don't work out. Uh, it's actually very easy to do. I've done it. Most of us uh, are pretty good at that. Mm. The yes. problem is, is that it doesn't change the outcome. Uh, and the outcome is, is still you weren't successful. And and, and look, uh, there's two things to think about and two ways to think about why we should take a different approach and take ownership. Uh, if you've read the book or know the book Extreme Ownership that Leif and Jocko wrote, uh, the principles are actually pretty straightforward. You're responsible for everything. Uh, that's the problems and the solutions and the implementation of those solutions. And, and you're responsible for the outcome. And some of that, to be honest with you, <clears throat> takes practice. Uh, and none of us imply that it's easy to do. It's hard. Uh, it's simple to do. Uh, conceptually, it's not that complicated. You take responsibility for everything. But in, real, in the real world, it, it is hard to do. And actually, it takes practice. Uh, you got to think about it, and you have to do it, and you have to implement on a regular basis. Uh, and it takes time. It's hard to just flip a switch and overnight, all of a sudden, every single thing uh, you take responsibility for. Uh, it's a process, and it's hard to do. And it's demanding, and it requires uh, a lot of discipline for that to happen. The other part of it that really isn't that hard is if you sort of think of it in objective terms, most of us want to be effective. Most of us want to be good at what we do. And, and when it comes down to leadership, most of us want to be good leaders. Mm. Um, and it's really not that complicated to think what makes you a better leader, blaming other people for your failures or blaming yourself. If you're talking about your own personal credibility or what people think of you or how you foster relationships with the teams that you work with or the people around you, what works better? taking responsibility for your failure or putting blame on other people or other things. And if you put it in, in the terms of, of your subordinates uh, coming to you and blaming other things uh, for why they weren't successful, any parent in the world knows anytime their kid makes excuses, it drives you nuts. Uh, it's really not that complicated to think. The best way uh, to further your credibility as a leader and further your opportunity to be an effective leader is take responsibility for the outcome. Uh, and if you want to be a good leader, just take a step back and think, what is going to make me more successful, blaming other people or blaming myself? And it's really not that complicated if you think about it. Yeah, and that's a, I mean, a phenomenal point that, you know, I know Dennis and I both stress ourselves whenever we're in the classroom or, you know, out working with organizations. And it's, it's well executed within, you know, extreme ownership, the way that it's written. Um, do you do you have any additional thoughts that you would be able to provide? You know, because one of the struggles I think we always see occasionally is, you know, you think about civilian versus military environment where, you know, the guy next to me, his life really does depend upon my actions and accepting responsibility. And sometimes it's somewhat difficult to replicate that environment within an organizational setting um, when you lack those that relationship that has been forged through difficult environments. Like, is there something that you've seen over your career and your work, you know, as you're out working with organizations that can kind of help that transition or help that process become more embedded within our cultures? Well, look, I won't deny that, you know, the military, there are environments, uh, certainly combat is, is one of those powerful experiences that you cannot help but build powerful relationships and powerful bonds with the people around you. And, and, I talked about it earlier before, you know, the environments are different. The magnitude can certainly be different. But I think if you look around and you talk about, you know, certainly when, when you're, uh, you know, folks going through an MBA program or going through school or going through training to, to prepare themselves to become a leader, first of all, you don't know what industry you're going to be in. There's a lot of industries right now that I can think of where lives are on the line on a regular basis. Any front line, uh, law enforcement, fire, rescue, the military doesn't have an exclusive right to um, powerful 
uh, environments where your lives are on the line. That happens in a lot of different places, and it happens all the time in a lot of different places. The other thing I talk about, you know, somewhat regularly when we think about it is that, you know, there's not a very big difference between your life and your livelihood in terms of what's at risk when you're making a mistake. And you are loyal, certainly, to the people that you have your deepest connections with, especially when their life is is in your hands or or their life is on the line based on the decisions that you make. But the true, the same is also true when you're responsible for people lively, people's livelihood. You know, you don't want to be cavalier when, the, you know, the worst case outcome is that your company doesn't survive, your team doesn't survive, you don't, you go bankrupt, and all of a sudden you're telling people that they don't have a way to pay for their uh, their mortgage or, or provide for their families. And so, if you're looking at sort of acknowledging what is at stake by by the you know in the environment under which you're responsible for, there's a lot of at stake for everybody. And I'm glad. I'm glad that we don't wake up every day and every single one of us that our human life is at risk. That's a great thing for us. Uh, that's not true for everybody. Uh, for some people, that's a, a day-to-day fact of life. But I don't know of any industry, almost any profession, where livelihoods aren't at risk on a regular basis in a very competitive world, uh, in a demanding world where you need to continue to evolve and get better and be successful, or you might go away. Uh, and you lose that livelihood, your life is going to be severely impacted. So the motivation should be there for everybody. And the other thing I try to do is there's this um, very common tendency for their, uh, for people to build a barrier between life in the military and life in the private sector, life in the civilian world. And they, there's this presumption that it's vastly different and that we treat the, uh, each other differently, we see the world differently, the environment is different, uh, and how we are is different. And the truth of the matter is that that's just not right. The reason that life in the military is uh, mirrors life outside of the military, it's because people in the military are made up of human beings, and we behave just like human beings behave. There are no Terminator robots in, in the Marine Corps. Uh, you may have seen in the movies that people follow orders or people die. None of that's right. None of that is the way people uh, operate in the military. They behave just like every other human being in the world. You have to figure out what their motivations are. You have to build relationships with them. They're not any more, any less inclined uh, to behave any differently than any other person in any other profession. And uh, the reason the military um, is the way that it is is because we're comprised of the same human beings that comprise every other organization. We have some fantastic, absolute, top-notch people in, in the military. Uh, you know, your absolute superstar, top 10% folks. We have a broad range of folks that just come to work every day and do an incredibly good job. And we have our bottom 10% too that probably simply just shouldn't be there. Um, we are not insulated from any demographic uh, for performance in any other industry. So the quicker we can get past those artificial barriers between military life and civilian life, the better. And the more we recognize that the problems that we're talking about aren't about military leadership. They're about human nature. Uh, and that's really one thing that Echelon Front, more than anything, really is it's a human nature organization. We recognize that leadership is a human nature problem. And fostering and developing relationships uh, and taking responsibility for those uh, outcomes that you're working towards uh, and how people react to that is about human nature. It's not about the chain of command. It's not about the organizational chart or any wire diagram or your professional um, mission statement. It's about how you build relationships with the people around you. And the people that build a better relationships are going to be successful. People in the military that build good relationships are successful. People that don't are failures. And the exact same thing is true in the private sector. Thank you, Dave. That was uh, You made a fantastic comparison there, and uh, I appreciated uh, the uh, point of accountability and especially on relationships. And But I want to move on to our next question, 
And the next question is, leadership often pushes individuals to focus upon details, yet be attentive to larger mission of the team. How can we as leaders learn to become more capable of integrating these two marketly, marketly different perspectives? Yeah, it's interesting. So I don't know how different those perspectives really are. We talk about the details. I think, I presume what you're talking about is sort of your, the things that you're supposed to focus on individually, your particular mission statement or your particular function, your job, depending on where you are in the organizational chart. You may be pretty far down on that list as a, as a frontline employee and maybe a lower-level supervisor, and you may feel really disconnected between two, three, four, or five layers up from CEOs who are looking at this very broad strategic picture. So assuming that's the, those two different perspectives, perspectives you're talking about, they're actually, at least in theory, should be very well aligned. Uh, so I look at it in two different ways. If I'm a really senior uh, leader in an organization, I'm at the very top of the organizational chart as a, you know, executive vice president, a CEO, a CFO, a COO, one of the C-suite folks, uh, I recognize that I need alignment for my strategic objectives and my overall vision all the way down at the very uh, lowest level, that tactical level where people are making uh, decisions that seem somewhat narrow in scope. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that every tactical decision, every frontline decision either reinforces and supports the strategic objectives or it doesn't. And the only way for me to allow that to happen is as a leader, I want to make sure that all of my subordinate leaders not only understand what the overall vision is, but how what they do supports that. And if they understand how what they do supports it, they're going to more than likely make good tactical decisions at that lowest level. I also want to make that connection between how them doing good work and being successful is good for the company. It's also good for them, that full circle relationship that when they succeed, the company succeeds. And when the company succeeds, their life gets better. We work with a lot of companies where there's a disconnect at those low levels where they don't feel like what they do does anything for them. It just, it might help, uh, you know, might help the company, but they don't see that it actually uh, has a full circle relationship that helps them too. And that's because there's a disconnect between that strategic level uh, and that tactical level, that, that frontline level of how people people operate. Look, it's no different than if you're the most junior employee and what you're doing may or may not make sense to you if you've got questions about that. So the best thing you can do or the most important thing you can do is go to your supervisor, go to your leadership and say, hey, I want to do a really good job. Uh, I want to do this mission, this task you've given me, this skill that you've hired me in uh, for. But I think I could do even better if I had a better understanding of how what I do affects the company uh, organizationally at, the, at every level. And if you can help me better understand what I'm doing, I think I can do a better job for you. And you can lead up the chain just by reaching out and asking for clarification, asking for help. And I can't imagine any leader who would have a subordinate come up to him and say, hey, I want to do an even better job than I'm doing. Can you help me do a better job? They wouldn't say anything other than, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that alignment really needs to go from top to bottom, and it also goes from, from bottom to top. And the way to develop that as a leader is you create an environment where people can work and interact together like that. The best companies have a natural flow uh, from top to bottom and bottom to top, and people can push back, ask questions, make contributions, get asked for a better understanding, and they do better work. And then the organizations that are stovepipe, that are very hierarchical in nature and don't like uh, their junior leaders leading up the chain, those companies don't succeed. They run into massive roadblocks over time, and uh, they eventually are going to fail. It doesn't mean uh, that you have to have a purely flat organization, and it doesn't mean that you need to have a purely bureaucratic hierarchical organization. It means you need to have relationships at every level, from the very top to the very bottom, no matter how broad or, or deep that is, 
and you have to put people in a position where they have to have a better understanding or a good understanding of how what they do affects everything else around them. And if they understand that, and they understand that actually benefits them, they're going to do a better job. It's, uh, it's human nature, just like we said. Yeah, that's a phenomenal paradigm to follow. And I know Dennis and I talk a lot about, you know, it's not just the shared vision in terms of the employee buying into where that organization is going in terms of its mission, but it's also, you know, like you said, the upper-level employees, you know, figuring out beyond what that employee's particular role or task might be and figure out, you know, what motivates them, what drives them, you know, in addition yeah, to their life. Sure. Yeah, I was with working with a company just last week. It was in the automotive industry. It's a really neat company, and uh, I had a really good day training with them. But some of the questions that were being asked, and one of the questions specifically came up is about millennials, you know, younger employees, essentially, brand-new folks. And, you know, there's this conversation about them being entitled or, or being self-centered or disconnected or, or not invested in all these a- adjectives and superlatives thrown around about, you know, a younger generation. It makes me chuckle. And one of the biggest complaints was, I ask my junior employees what they want, and what it boils down to is they want more free time and they want more money. And I, <laughs> I had a laugh and, and asked everybody in the room, all these mid-level managers and executives, and, and asked, I said, raise your hand, who does not want more free time and who does not want more money? <laughs> so, look, there's nothing wrong with wanting more time and more money. Everybody wants more time and more money. And there's nothing wrong with trying to allow that to happen or trying to get people to uh, find a way for that to be the outcome. The way to create alignment is to recognize what those people's motivations are, what their interests are, what their objectives are, and align that with the job that they do. This is the job that we've hired you in for. This is how you can make a big contribution. If you do this really well, the opportunity is going to be for you to make more money. If the company does well, that will come full circle because the way we, we handle profits is we increase wages or, or we hire on more people so you actually can get a little more free time. If you don't want to work Fridays and Saturdays anymore and you do a really good job and the company does well, we're going to bring on more employees and cover more shifts and you'll get some more free time. You know, set the bar very high, set the expectations very high, but responding to what people's interests and motivations are, if you do it in a way that they feel invested in being successful, not just for themselves, but for the overall company, because they realize the company is going to reinvest in them, it's actually not that complicated for people to find what their motivation is, and you provide that for them. Now, I mean, it, you know, we live in the real world. You know, you, if you want more free time and want more money, you're going to have to work really hard. You're going to have to contribute and make a difference. But what motivates people is, is, is and can be different, and your job as a leader is to figure out what that is. You know, some people don't want more free time. They want to work all the time, uh, and they want to make a whole bunch more money. And some people want are willing to make a little bit less money to get you know Saturdays off so they can spend it with their kids. Don't begrudge anybody for what they want. What they want is what they want. And it, it, the idea that people eventually wanting whatever freedom they, they care about, financial freedom, time freedom, or any other freedom, I can't think of anybody in the world that doesn't want more money and more time to do the things they want to do with their money. That's not selfish. That's a human nature problem. <laughs> yes. Uh, and you got to find a way to try to deliver that as best you can. Yeah, and I think, like you said, it definitely ties back into that underlying message here where, where leadership, I mean, like you said, it, it isn't necessarily always complicated. You know, it's doing the simple things right and establishing those relationships yeah. with it allow that to occur. You'll hear us say at Echelon Front, uh, it's, it's simple. Not easy, but simple. it is simple. Uh, mm-hmm. The decisions that we make, the things that we do, uh, when we start to think about what is the right thing, it's usually a pretty simple answer. Now, yeah. like I said, we understand that that doesn't mean it's easy, uh, but it's not complicated. And and you're right on, like you said, about the millennials. There are just so many stereotypes out there that you see them and you hear them constantly. And, and like you said, it doesn't always apply. 
because like you said of course everybody would love more free time and more money but at the same time yeah uh, millennials you know what they're busy they're also bombarded with information and it's it's like you said it's a just a different era and um like you said it, it does yeah and the world has certainly changed i understand the world of information has changed and how people are has changed but the um the the, the history of a current generation uh, finding everything wrong with with the generation that follow them. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's as old as time. And yes. for every negative attribute we try to um, attribute to the generation after us, can be directly connected to us. Uh, if I've got kids who are entitled and lazy, it's either their fault as a child or my <laughs> fault as a parent. Uh, and I think we both know what the answer is. So before we we jump to the conclusion of what's wrong with everybody else, what's wrong with this generation or, or millennials or anybody else, just take a step back and why don't you just look in the mirror, we should all look in the mirror and say, what's wrong with me? Uh, you know, millennials and otherwise, they're all doing the same things every other generation is doing. There are millennials in combat right now that are fighting terrorists uh, and, and defending a nation. There are millennials that are running billion-dollar corporations. There are millennials that are holding public office that are running countries. It's just too easy. It goes back to the very first comment. It's just very easy to place blame elsewhere uh, and describe people as entitled or lazy or otherwise. There's one thing that millennials need. It's the same thing everybody else needs. It's good leadership that can solve that problem. Uh, it's not them. It's, it's you. Uh, and that's the way to attribute every issue that you're dealing with. It's how can you as a leader do a better job uh, to get people to behave and act and, and function in the best possible way. Either blame them for their problems or blame yourself. And if you blame yourself, you're going to find a solution. If you blame them, it's just going to be an excuse why you fail. Uh, again, simple, not easy. You brought up a great point, Dave, that really uh, caught my attention. I've been teaching in one of my courses, and that is motivation. And uh, one of the traps that leaders fall into is that they automatically think that uh, monetary pay and so forth and money is the greatest motivator. And, it, and I've asked my students that, and they automatically answered with money. But I like how you brought out the point that it goes beyond that. Everybody has different needs. Everybody has different desires. And uh, as leaders, we need to find out what those motivators are and get away from these old paradigms of just thinking that money is the answer. So I really appreciated uh, uh, that answer. Um, yeah, there's no, no doubt about it. Yeah, and, and that kind of leads us into, we've been talking about, it kind of leads us into our last question. What do you believe to be the most significant challenge facing our next generation of leaders? I actually think what, what you just said, centered around it, uh, I think the challenge for all leaders, and it doesn't, I don't think it's, it's a generational thing. I think it's, it's far too easy to attribute all the uniquenesses going on to this new generation, the information age. Uh, the challenge of leadership I think there's two things as a leader. For, and look, it applies to me as a, as, a, as a leader at my age with all my experience and, and guys that are more experienced than me and guys that are younger than me. There's two things that I think are the biggest barriers to being successful, the two things that need to be managed really well in order for you to be successful. And I think this is universal. I think it's age, industry, agnostic, and it has nothing to do with uh, who you are or what operating environment you're, you're in. The first is Leaders need to be humble people. They need to recognize that errors and failures and mistakes and problems and outcomes are attributed to yourself first. You have to focus inward on everything you can do individually to be better at what you're doing. Until you get to a point where every single thing you're doing is perfect, you should focus your efforts on how you can improve. Uh, and I tell this to my kids all the time, and I say it to myself on a regular basis. 
spend less time on what you think is wrong with your brother and sister, spend less time on what you think is wrong with the people around you, and spend more time figuring out what's wrong with you and how you can get better. And if you as a leader demonstrate that you are going to focus exclusively on your own performance, and if you're going to show people around you that you're willing to talk about what's wrong with you and how you're going to get better, lo and behold, the people around you will do the exact same thing. They will follow you. As a leader, if you focus on yourself and you tell people, I'm not doing this well, I'm going to do this better, I made a mistake here, this is what I learned, this is how I'm going to do better, we failed because of me, I didn't do this, I learned this, I'm going to implement this differently, this is what we're going to do moving forward, the people around you will follow you. That is why leadership is the biggest challenge facing us, and it's the solution to every single problem that's out there. It's leadership. It's always leadership. And the other part of that, you know, I talked about the, the need to be humble and, and, and demonstrate humility and really focus inward on how you can get better. The other thing that leaders need to be able to do, and this is certainly a generational challenge, is you have to build relationships with the people around you. Relationships are the most important tool to being successful as a team. It's not the organizational chart. It's not that you're put in a position of authority or responsibility or leadership. It's not the wire diagram. It's not the chain of command. And if you as a leader are falling back on, well, I'm in charge, so we're doing it my way, you are failing as a leader because you're failing at building relationships. And if building relationships with a new generation of people is different than building a, gen a relationship with your generation, guess whose responsibility it is to fix that? And if you're going to spend time saying, well, these people are different, and this generation is different, and they do things differently, uh, when I grew up, this is how we did it, well, guess whose problem that actually is? It's actually your problem to solve. And so you're going to have to figure out a way to build a unique and powerful relationship with every one of your subordinates, your your peer equivalents, and your bosses, and your leaders, uh, uh, the leaders above you. And I got news for some of us out there. We're going to be working at some point for people that are younger than us, uh, maybe even less experienced than us. Leadership is not an age uh, discriminant. So aside from just the personal attribute of, of demonstrating humility, if you're having a hard time with junior folks working for you because you can't figure out what they're like or what motivates them or what interests them, that's because you haven't done a good enough job as a leader to build a relationship. And that may be a challenge uh, because it might get you to uh, force you to have to do things differently. Um, but ultimately, it's a challenge that, that is you responsible for. Uh, and this clock, this clock doesn't stop. You know, this continuum doesn't change. We're going to be talking about the same problems now uh, in 10 years and in 50 years. And our, our kids are going to be telling the same stories that we told. Uh, and it's going to be about dealing with new challenges and new problems that they have to solve. If you figure out uh, sooner rather than later that you're the one that has to solve them, uh, you get much farther down the road of actually uh, implementing those solutions. Yeah, thank you, Dave. I mean, you're you're hitting, like you said, squarely on some of the main ideas that you know Dennis and I kind of follow in faithfully as well. And um, you know, for us, I mean, that's a perfect point to start to wrap up the interview because um, again. You know, I think anything that we could add probably would kind of diminish from, you know, the impact of what you just said. So, you know, on behalf of Dennis and myself, that we were honored to have you here today. Truly a pleasure getting to hear, you know, from you and your insight. And I think, you know, our audience would certainly benefit from listening to what it is you know, that you've said today, as well as, you know, staying in contact with you. So how is it that our audience can uh, kind of continue to follow the work that you're doing, uh, also the work that you're doing with the Echelon Front and things that you're kind of involved with? Well, I'm easy to reach. Uh, the easiest way is uh, on the website go to echelonfront.com if you want to email me directly it's dave at echelonfront.com 
Uh, and from there, you know, you'll see links to uh, Twitter, Instagram, even Facebook. You know, like I said, the email's there as well. You can learn more about the company. But if anybody wants to reach out and talk to me uh, or follow up with what they've heard from the interview or just have a basic conversation uh, about leadership, just email me at that website or that, that email I said, David, com is the easiest. And, and um, uh, I'm not that hard to get a hold of. Uh, and look, I appreciate you guys having me on. I know what you're doing is important. Getting to be a part of this is, is, is wonderful for me as well. So thanks for including me. Well, we thank you. And like I said, thank you for you taking the time to be here with us today. And again, we thank you and the rest of your brothers for the service to our great country. It's truly appreciated. Yes, Dave, again. No, I'll pass, I'll pass that along for sure. Uh, I assure you we all enjoyed uh, our service. So uh, it was a classic win-win. We liked what we were doing. We appreciate your contribution to building our future leaders. Yeah, uh, same with you guys. So thanks for having me and and, uh, hope to be in touch. Well, Patrick, I found that very inspiring and informational. Dave made some very valid points in regards to relationships and leadership. And um, I'm looking forward to our middle month discussion when we begin to analyze it and bring out some of the uh, bigger points. Yeah, I agree completely. I mean, everything that Dave said really is underpinned by that idea that you and I have both talked about in the past is leadership really is about relationships. So again, also looking forward to our mid-month reflection. So in closing, again, it was an honor and a privilege for both Dennis and I to bring to you retired Lieutenant Colonel David Burke. Uh, Again, we thank him for his service to our country and the time that he gave to us today. We would also like to thank the Roland School of Business for supporting our show and the Center for Media Innovation as well. Uh, Alex has done a tremendous job in getting us set up and supporting us throughout the interview. So if you have the chance, certainly check out our show notes. And if you have any questions and answers or ideas for upcoming shows, Dennis and myself have our contact information in the show notes as well for you to reach out to us. But thank you again, and we look forward to keeping this series moving forward. And I want to just say goodbye, and we appreciate our, our listeners.